Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. Hello, 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 podcast human beings. Thank you for downloading this episode of Scintillating Conversations with People Involved in Independent Music. And we have another fun one from Outbreak Fest over in the United Kingdom. I recorded this in front of a live studio audience. Technically not a studio, but you get the point. This is in front of human beings at a music fest. And uh, this was done in June of 2022. I loved these discussions. It was the first time I'd ever done anything live like this before. And it went great. And I have two conversations to bring you a supersized episode today. So two, two for the price of zero, because technically you're not paying for it, but you get the point. I have Walter Schreifels up first from Quicksand, Youth of Today, Gorilla Biscuits, Rival Schools, World's Fastest Car, Moondog. <laughs> I can go on and on, but Walter Schreifels is a very generous human being, and he's also an incredible musician. I have worshipped at his altar ever since I saw Quicksand in front of thousands of people when they were on tour with Offspring, and Walter's just a great chat. This was the second time that he's appeared on the podcast, but uh, this was a, a really, really fun conversation. He actually flew over specifically to do this uh, chat, and it was, uh, it was really awesome. And then, right after that, is Will Yip, the producer du jour, producer extraordinaire. You name a record, he has probably touched it from La Dispute, Balance and Composure, Circa Survive. I could just go on and on, but you, you know him. <laughs> I, I dare you to pick up like 10 records, and I imagine like two of them are done by Will Yip. Pianos become the teeth. I could, anyways, I'll, I'll, I'll stop. But Will was a, a great hang. And he, again, he also came over specifically for this chat and music festival, and it was a, it was a great vibe. Both conversations were, 
um, I don't know, well attended. Like I really didn't know what uh, this whole thing was going to look like, but both chats were just super fun. And so I want to bring them to you and that's what we're doing. So business stuff up top. You can always email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. I love to hear from you, correspondence, guest ideas, whatever the case may be, or just saying hello. Here, check out this record. Whatever it is, I'm here for it. You can also leave a rating and review on Apple Podcast, or just leave a rating on Spotify, or just share this episode on social media. Share it to your friends. Share it to anybody who should be listening to it, because after all, that's the best way to tell people about stuff. <laughs> is word of mouth, right? That's the best uh, form of marketing. And uh, support all of the people who are advertising in this particular podcast. They, uh, yeah, they've just been really, really supportive, whether it's uh, Evil Greed, whether it's Rockabilia, or other companies that, uh, if you hear my voice and you hear me talking about a product, that means I have signed up for it and I want you to know about it. So uh, when you support that, it supports the show and it's a very virtuous cycle. So, like I said, first up, Walter Schreifels, and then we'll take a little break. I'll intro Will Yip, and then we'll go into his conversation. So here we go. Thank you all. I feel like I'm uh, introducing people at a late night show, like I'm like Jimmy Fallon or something like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go with that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well... I, Walter, I know you were flown over here for this, but regardless, I appreciate you doing this. Thank how, you. How was your set? I was not able to catch it. Um, the set was so fun. I was a little um, like uh, sketchy on some of the songs that I haven't like uh, I haven't played in a while. But uh, the audience was very cool. I don't know whoever was there for my show. Thank you all. You were very very cool. Thank you. Yeah, hell yeah. It, it would be funny if they were like, "Yeah, you sucked." Uh, you know. <laughs> It's a long trip over here to suck. So, uh, yeah. But luckily, very, very cool audience. That's good. That's good. Um, I like, uh, so I, I had you on my podcast about a year or some odd ago, which was special for me because I have watched you many years perform uh, musically. The first time I saw Quicksand was 1995. That still means I'm old and he's older, but that's okay. We're old. Right? Maybe? No? He's young. I'm old. Let's put it that way. Thank you. Anyways, I saw him in 95 uh, with The Offspring at the yeah. Brent Event Center in Irvine, California. Yes. I had no idea who Quicksand was, Yeah, but you guys were great. That was a, that was a great show. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. That yeah. tour must have been really weird for you guys because that was when Offspring was like completely skyrocketing, and you guys were one of three, I want to say. Uh, we were no. I think we we were direct, direct support. support. Okay. Uh, and they were very. Uh, they had just come out with uh, "Keep Them Separated." Yes. Uh, and uh, so that was kind of exciting. Yeah, you got to play to a lot of people who. Had yeah, we played to a bunch of people. That was like an arena. Yes. Yeah. It was. But the thing I like about you uh, is that you, in my opinion, you have definitely aged gracefully within music. Where Thank honestly. You. People have affectionately called you Uncle Wally. Have yeah. You, have you been... I hear that sometimes. Okay. That's nice. And I, and I think that most people, in my opinion, kind of look at you in this sort of... Uh, you know, Are you familiar with the film Dazed and Confused? Dazed and Confused. I've seen it. It's awesome. Okay. Awesome. So the character of Matthew McConaughey. But you're not the creepy guy hanging out at high schools trying to pick up on high no. school chicks. No. But you're just the guy that's like... Hey man, like I can still hang with you guys, and it's yeah. cool. Yeah, and 
how I mean, I know you're not consciously thinking about like, hey, how can I hang with the kids? But, you know, how have you, I guess, stayed connected to this music scene when really you like don't have to anymore? Um, I find it so inspiring that I'm like walking around here today and seeing like all these T-shirts of like I see a burn T-shirt and uh, and all these different bands that like I grew up with and uh, that this kind of community is kind of like writ large the kind of things that I was doing with my friends when I was a teenager that this was like um, just sort of like a feeling about doing things yourself not waiting for like permission from some authority thing to say like, okay, now you can legitimately do this to just understand that you go from point A to point B on your own steam. And that gives you the control to like do it the way that you want to do it. And I find um, like us. And at the time that we were doing it, no one really gave a shit about it. It was all just obviously like, I'm not romanticizing it being small, but it's, it's really uh, awesome to see that that, the music is diverse, but the idea of, uh, of this sort of like do-it-yourself culture has, has become uh, endemic, that it just keeps going and keeps growing. So me being a part of that is like uh, um, really a um, wonderful thing in my life, and, uh, and I'm just happy to see it and, uh, and that it makes sense because it, it is so much cooler than like waiting for somebody... I mean, the, you know, to tell you what's what's good, or or, or, and, or to feel like you can't touch it yourself. So, sure. You know. Yeah, and that's. I mean, ultimately, that's why you not only stay engaged and creative. I mean, probably there's really no quote unquote plan B for you. I think I swam too far out to swim back. And to be honest, I love I love uh, I love making music. I'm I'm here seeing all the bands like everyone else here and. Uh, I'm catching inspiration from, from everything. I mean, I don't know how many people here are musicians or artists. I have a feeling a lot of people are um, in one way or another. And I think it's a, a festival like this is uh, the perfect environment to like really soak up what other people are doing and, um, uh, you know, and kind of regurgitate it yeah. in, in, in your own work, whether that is a, like a visual or a musical or, or whatever. Yeah, no, you're right, because that, that influence will be able to inform the choices that you make, where it's like, I watched this 16-year-old kid kill it on stage, and I'm like, I want to try to, like, th- that's interesting what they're doing. Not like you're just going to rip them off, but, I mean, maybe I, I would rip them okay, off. Okay, that's good, that's good. But it won't come out right. I think that's the thing, when you, when you rip somebody off, like, you could be think, oh, man, I'm going to get busted for this one. And people do get busted for it, but I think, like, more often, it's like you're trying to rip off one thing, you're aiming for one thing, but because of how you are personally, like you don't really, you reveal more about your own personality and your own way of doing things than you do about the influence. And I think it's about kind of honing that, um, building the confidence or just like not really giving a fuck in some ways about like, that you are unique in what you do and how you see things and how you create, you know, just like your signature, your fingerprint or whatever it is. And if you kind of get into that and uh, present that in an honest way and it rocks you, like that's going to be meaningful maybe to other people's lives, but certainly to your own life to, to kind of move on and to uh, in your own story. And I think art and music is 
more than like, you know, obviously it's very cool to be in a popular band and be on stage and all that, that kind of stuff is, is important or, or fun and, and exciting for culture. But I think more what I, what I love about art and about music is how it is your, um, it, you can help write your own story throughout life and it can be your, com- your, your companion um, and, and a way to like exercise, you know, just your view of life. And, and I think it doesn't cost anything. It's incredible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This whole, all this stuff is free. I mean, yeah. it's... Paid. I mean, you got to work at it. Yeah. <laughs> it's paid for in sweat equity, as yeah. they call it. Um, what also, I think, impresses me about your body of work is the fact, like, with Quicksand, you could have literally, you know, the reunion and putting out multiple records since you guys have come back. You could have literally rested on your laurels and just be like, all right, guys, let's do the victory lap. Let's do the 20-year yeah. anniversary tour. And honestly, like maybe put out one record and that's it. But you don't seem to rest on your laurels. And I presume that that's important for you because you are still probably defining what quicksand is musically for you at this point. I think it's uh, for me, it's important to um, just keep moving, telling that story and like developing it and like um, having different experiences. You know, like music just takes me to different places. I meet new people. Um, just funny shit happens, inspiring things happen, things that I'm like afraid of. And, um, and that happens by creating new stuff and being a part of like, um, yeah, I mean, participating in your own story, participating in the story of the culture. And I think uh, not, not to knock like people that aren't, that's not important to them or whatever. But for me, I feel that, that um, I can really only enjoy like my old kind of catalog stuff in, in the balance of something that I'm doing currently because otherwise, uh, I don't know, I feel like you just sort of calcify and, uh, you know, I'm afraid of that. Right. Well, yeah, then you just become like a karaoke. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it's... Uh, I, I'm not... Ju- again, I'm not judging it. People yep. get paid a lot of money to go out and do their totally. thing. God bless them. Yep. And, and, and that's, that's an important thing. But I think ultimately, like... I'm not getting paid that much that I just want to like sit back and chill. Like I got to keep moving because honestly, like that's the fun of it for me, or that's the that's the exci- a lot the great part of the excitement for me. Right, the momentum is created because of that. For sure. Right. The um, rival schools, especially over here in the UK, uh, I we briefly talked about it on the last podcast, but you guys did really well over here. I mean, like radio airplay, like mainstream stuff that you probably hadn't experienced with any of your other projects prior to that. When did you feel that momentum from over here where it's like, whoa, what the hell? Like, what? We're getting played in the radio? Like, we're charting and whatever else people talk about over here? I was thrilled because uh, in America, like, um, it seemed when I was growing up that all the cool music was in the UK. Like, it just... Like in the United States, like when I was young, it was a lot of um, hair metal, which I think people have like a lot of like sort of like kind of what is it? Uh, it's kitsch a little bit now, like th- this sort of like, oh, yeah, I like Warrant. But when Warrant was the band, it was not fun. Uh, but, you know, in England, they've always had this sort of like, um, you know, like the specials would be a, the number one band, like. So for me, when, when uh, or, you know, all these, like, cool bands, like, My Bloody Valentine was, like, a popular band in England, or in the UK, when in America it was just very, very, very niche. Um, so being in, in the NME and all that stuff was sort of, like, to me, feeling like, 
Cool. Like, I don't know, whatever. I, I, I found that really uh, exciting. And the, the UK audiences were just so awesome and, um, and, and have, have always remained so, even till today. It's just, it's, it's always, I feel a kinship. I mean, even just Manchester, I'm thinking about, like, uh, you know, New Order, Joy Division, the Buzzcocks, uh, the Smiths, Stone Roses, um, did I say Buzzcocks? I, I mean, Oasis, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so y- in this one city, which I don't know how many people live in, in Manchester, but like, that's like eight bands or so that's like in my DNA of music. And so like to be here and be among the people and all that kind of stuff is just like, well, good for me. It's yeah. cool. <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate like, it. Wow, Rival Schools is cool in the UK. I'll take it. Oh, yeah, that was wonderful. Yeah, that was absolutely. wonderful. Um, because you have played so many shows and have probably hurt yourself many times doing maybe stupid things on stage, whether it was a jump or smashing a microphone in your teeth, what's the worst show injury you felt like you've had? Uh, really, the, the one, the worst one was actually the, my teeth. Because I had one of these microphone stands that's like a circular one, and it was like you know, like you go to a, like get a wonky table at a restaurant, and you have to, and it's kind of like that, and you like your drink gets knocked over. So the microphone was like a wonky microphone, and I was like gonna sing some really cool thing, and I'm like, all right, here I come, and I like put my foot on the, the microphone stand, and it whooped back into my teeth, and just my teeth just went psh, like dust. Oh. How many did you lose? The front teeth. Not the whole tooth, but like I had like a kind of um, Dumb and Dumber was the movie at that time. And I had like kind of a Dumb and Dumber haircut and then I had like Dumb and Dumber teeth. And uh, so... So that was like Manic Compression Era? That was Manic Compression Era. That was probably... It, it didn't... I mean, if your tooth get like dusted, it's like they were dusted out. It doesn't physically hurt. Um, but, uh, yeah. I just love the description that you said where I look like Dumb and Dumber. I'm closing my eyes and picturing my quicksand poster, the promo poster. Oh, it's easy to picture. I'm like, oh, yeah, you did have that look. I I was on, I was on the Dumb and Dumber train at that time. I love it, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I, you and Jim Carrey need to meet at some point. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Um, you, uh, primarily because you have all of, most of your bands have existed in kind of the major label system, you know, and you've had to do things in regards to tours that you might not like. I know you, correct me if I'm wrong, but you toured with Typo Negative, right? I did not, but that would have been fun. Okay, that, I, I, yeah. yeah. But it, unlikely pairings as far as tourists. There have been. I mean, the Offspring one was kind of uh, off-brand, but uh, I think in, the, in, the, in those times, in this kind of major label time, they're just really trying to create something that, an activity that you're doing something, and uh, you know, from my point of view, it was, uh, you know, I remember meeting, uh, you know, I've met people over the course of time that said, like, uh, uh, you know, Nick from The Strokes told me, I saw you opening for uh, The Offspring. So you meet all these different people that saw you because The Offspring was a band that, you know, very young kids would go see. And Quicksand was probably a little bit more, like, kind of cerebral and kind of angsty. But... um the offspring were cool for asking us out. I mean, you know, we're making this all about the offspring, but uh, no, no, but I, I mean, am. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> but there, uh, there were probably more unlikely. Like, did you find yourself working better with like heavier bands, or working better with more sort of like radio type bands? Uh, I guess I would find it. 
I don't know that there was like an archetype for us. You sure. know what I mean? And I think we came from a. That's why I think it's so nice to see you know these bands like Turnstile and 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 so many so many of the bands tonight. Um, drawing on similar influences that I drew on at the time, you know, uh, you, you, that Bad Brains becomes like something that people know about um, in, in a wider sense. Um, but I think like the, the music that was coming out of New York and the part that I was a part of, I think is really onto itself. So I don't think it really like travels necessarily in these sort of, you know, larger like, you know, punk kind of Green Day kind of world but I I think that's what makes it special but it's also nice to see you know not that we like invented anything but we were like on uh, a trajectory that I see continued uh, on in an event like a festival like today yeah for sure I mean that the fact that so many people can point to their introduction to quote unquote post hardcore being like you guys Orange 9 Millimeter whoever and then be like, oh, yeah, I want to do some version of that, but a more updated version. Yeah. And it's I'm cool. sure that makes you feel great. I, I, I appreciate it. It's great. Right, exactly. Um, the, I'm sure that you, once you were part of the actively touring, playing 250-plus shows a year, there were moments where you were like, I can't do this touring anymore. The, the lifestyle is either too difficult for me, I'm too emotionally drained or whatever. Um, when did you feel like that was for you during your most active touring years, whether it was with Quicksand or Rival Schools? I don't know that I... Um, I don't know if I like blamed it on... I mean, the touring, it was fun, but I guess you're just stuck with your guys a lot, so uh, you don't realize that you're in this uh, sort of strange bubble. But I, I, I think touring is amazing. I love to travel. I love to... You know, I can go to any city, uh, in, you know, in, in most countries of the world, and I, and I have seen it through the eyes of the people that live there. And uh, I feel that that's, like, such a... Um, not only from being a musician, but just from being in this kind of, like, you know, scene that we're in, that, that, that there are um, so many opportunities to just, like, hang out and see a place that y- y- you wouldn't really know to... to to go to the cool place, you know? Uh, and so I think touring is where you, you create those experiences. So yeah, I mean, it was, it was a pain in the ass, I think in some ways, like um, where you're just like out there to do something, you know, but that's kind of like part of the gig. Uh, so I, I'm not going to cry about it too much, to be honest. <laughs> right. You were like, well, we needed to get out there in order to get our name out there, but I am still traveling. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, you appreciate the good of it, and it's not for everybody, but, um, you know, a lot of the time I was doing it in a very comfortable way where there was, you know, you're on a bus and you have all these people kind of, like, trying to help you. But I've also done it by myself. I've also done it in a van, like, that would break down. I've done it in all these different forms. And um, they, they all kind of even out in a certain way. It's just, like, different angles on the same experience um that i'm just kind of it's my thing you know and i think some people think would think it's stupid and it sucks <laughs> yeah and and are not cut out for it but i just like it but you are yeah, yeah. It, speaking of that solo stuff where i mean obviously you played the solo sets today and you've done a variety of iterations from it one thing i personally remember is when you were doing walking concert yeah you did these really interesting things in la um you did these kind of like one-man shows where you were also telling stories. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, yes. 
Why don't you do that more? Because it was probably one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. And it's not just blowing smoke yeah. up your butt, but it was like, it was a really cool experience where Walter would play a song yeah. and tell a story about it. So it was kind of like this, you know, really immersive experience where people that might just have gone to see you because they're like, Rival Schools is sick. They're like, yeah. what the hell is quicksand? And yeah. But do that. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, I think doing an acoustic show, I mean, generally, if I see someone doing acoustic, I'm like, ah, shit. You know, I can't talk. I'm going to be rude. This sucks. So I think if going at it from that perspective, uh, if I do an acoustic show, I I try to make it as informal as possible. And uh, of course, I prefer if people are paying attention, but it's just happening, you know, and and I don't do it very often. Um, But, you know, today was so fun, I, I might... Might start doing it, and now that I got this, yeah, I'm, I'm your hype you. hype man now. I, no, I'm forcing it. I will, I'll, I'll manage your one man career. I, I appreciate it. It's my pleasure, uh, just for my selfish reasons. Yeah. Um, two last things I want to hit on: your experience with uh, Use the Day and Gorilla Biscuits. You know, especially as the, you know, you've played shows ever since that both bands have done. You know, the reunion stuff yeah. and. What has been the most, I guess, surprising thing? Whether it is the size of the shows the way that people were reacting in certain places around the world. Um, I know that's probably difficult to conceptualize, but um, what's been the most surprising thing as you've dipped back into these songs that are like, this is 30 years old. Why do people still care about this? I think it's just really good. I, I, I do feel in some ways like when we were doing that music, and I don't want to sound like, I don't want to romanticize it too much, but like I, I liked all kinds of music. Like I was into... Yeah, like I was naming all these British bands that were not popular in America. I was like, I was just, I just love music. And then when I discovered this hardcore scene, I just thought like, this is the coolest shit ever. Like, I don't care about like all these kind of, um, like you two weren't my thing anymore. You know, like I, I, I felt like this scene was, was the best shit that was happening. So um, even though it wasn't really popular beyond uh, a couple, a few hundred people in, in, a, in a, any given city, um, but I feel like sort of vindicated over the t- course of time because these records, I think when I listen to Youth of Today, like when I play with Youth of Today, I feel like absolutely, a, like uh, I'm so in it. You know what I mean? Like I'm so into the the messages of of messages is 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 of the songs, and um, the uh, like I'm a hundred percent like cult member when I'm in that band. Like I believe in the shit completely. Like my old ass body is just like doing shit that I can't even, I should not would be look insane in any other context, and uh, because it's I feel it's like important that the messages are are I keep saying that. The messages are good and um, and relevant, and I feel the same in Gorilla Biscuits. But I think Gorilla Biscuits is maybe less this zealot thing. It's more about I feel like the audience, and I think this is the key of hardcore. And you're going to see this all night long. Like the band is is an aspect of the larger experience, to where the audience is absolutely their role is essential to what's happening because you're watching the band. You're also watching, like I come out to look at the merch. I'm looking at the merch. In, 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 the, in the experience in the venue, you're going to see people stage diving. Some people are going to do it bad. Some people are going to do it amazing. Someone's going to get hurt. Hopefully not. Um, and then what are, what are people wearing? What, what are, like all these things 
are making the experience so every single person has a role to like write a fanzine, take a photograph, blah, 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 blah. So in Gorilla Biscuits, I really feel that happening to where this is just like our collective drama and my hands are moving so fast. Again, I don't know what they're doing. I'm in this sort of like surreal, like timeless state that I think is like uh, what you want to feel. It's like being in the womb while all this chaos is going around. It's like you're, it sounds like you're possessed each time you sit today in Gorilla Biscuits plays. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely like that because the, the messages and, and when people are throwing themselves off the stage and quite possibly hurting themselves very badly because this music is playing, like if you stop the music, that would be a fucking insane thing to do. Like, okay, I'm gonna, I loved that movie. I'm going to jump off of a high thing now. Like, it only happens in this music. It doesn't happen at, like, I'm not going to knock some band that isn't hardcore, but let's just take some regular cool band that's playing. Like, that's not the thing. But in this, it is. And uh, it's not for everybody, but I find it absolutely... Um, it, I think it connects to that, that sort of part of our DNA that's like kind of like caveman-y. Like, we like to just, I don't know, throw rocks and jump and... Go crazy. Right, right. I mean, shouldn't throw rocks. I mean, that's no, not... No, right, the, yeah, yeah. But maybe throw an empty water bottle. Yeah, I guess. I mean, you know, <laughs> I never do that. Safely. No, neither do yeah, I. Yeah, yeah. It does look cool, though, sometimes. It does, it does. Um, the last thing I want to hit on was the fact that um, the song that you wrote with Siv, Can't Wait One Minute More, the fact that I'm sure you have heard it in the most bizarre circumstances, whether it's a sporting event... Yeah. What it like? Can you recall the most weird place that either you heard it or someone else told you? Like, hey, Walter, I was uh, you know at a graduation and they played King one one minute more. Uh, that would be that would be a cool one. I, I saw the Rangers, which is the New York City hockey team, at Madison Square Garden, and they played Can't Wait One Minute More, and it, it was cool because I designed it like that was the idea of the song is to be played at Madison Square Garden during the Knicks. Not not I wasn't really a hockey fan. But they, they played it for the hockey team. So that was, uh, so I got that kind of, that was a cool thing that happened to me. That's absolutely incredible. Yeah. <laughs> well, Walter, thank you very much. And everybody give it up for Walter. Thank you all very much. Thanks so much, Ray. Okay, first things first. Pull up your web browser. Go to rockabilia.com. Look around at their website. You will find so much great stuff to look at and order. Third thing to do. You need to use the promo code 100 words or less. That gets you 10% off your entire order. They have so much neat stuff. Like they right now, they have a Halloween Rockabilly exclusive Slipknot long sleeve. It's just one of those many, many products that they have on their website that you can purchase and find something not only for yourself, but your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister. I don't care who it is you will find something for them on this particular site. It's all officially licensed. All the bands get paid. They are a institution in regards to supporting independent music, bands of all shape and sizes. And I love Rockabilia for that. So go to their website, have fun poking around. They have a lot of limited edition stuff as of late. Like they, Did you ever think that you needed a Dark Throne skate deck? Well, I think you do, because that is what they have on their website. <laughs> So a lot of this stuff is cool, limited edition. You won't be able to find it anywhere else. But again, rockabilly.com, use the promo code 100 words or less, 
and you will get 10% off your order. So have fun browsing. There was Walter. What a great chat because uh, not only is he a really, really good musician, but he's very thoughtful about, you know, just kind of his place in the scene, so to speak. And I think that uh, it's one of those things where he's just appreciative of the fact that he can still be doing this stuff. And he's obviously been able to make a living off of music for quite some time. And uh, it was really cool, too, because uh, his daughter was with him and I got to meet her and talk with her and just incredibly sweet human being. But it was also just really interesting for me to kind of be like, <laughs> just like, do, do you know who your dad is? <laughs> I mean, she, you know, to, to her, he's just dad and that's kind of it. But, um, yeah, anyways, it was just, a it was interesting to meet a person that was, um, you know, is, has a completely different view of someone who we have all watched grow up musically. And so, yeah, it was really cool. But anyways, transitioning from him to Will Yip is very easy because, uh, Will is also a great hang. I had uh, met him a couple times in the past. We actually had dinner together many years ago. And so it was really fun for us to reconnect on this podcast and be able to talk to him about how he approaches production. And he's just a very in-depth dude when it comes to working with bands. And uh, yeah, I was really excited to have this chat. So here is Will Yip. You know what I love? I love a very specific point of view because it lets you know what you're getting into when you either go to their website or consume their art, whatever it is. And evilgreed.net is a great partner for that. They are a online merch seller web store solution based out of Berlin, Germany. But the cool part about it is they focus on select labels and bands to bring to you where it's like, you know what, if you like these type of bands, you will like what they have at their store. And you can use this promo code and we'll give you 10% off your entire order. 100 words. Please use that. It lets them know that you heard about it on this podcast. But let me just name some of the record labels they work with. They have Profound Lore, Other People Records, Iodine Records, Closed Casket Activities, Bridge Nine. They all have a very highly curated list of stuff that you can buy through them. And I, I love it so much because honestly, I just... I like most of the bands that they have on there. And some of the bands that they are work with specifically are like Nails, Power Trip, Russian Circles, Blood Incantation, Power Trip. You get it. If it's heavy, artistic, got a very unique point of view, that is what Evil Greed traffics in. So please go to evilgreed.net, use the promo code 100 words, and everybody wins. And plus, they ship fast to you. I know you may be like, I live in the U.S., how do you get it to me from Berlin quickly? They get it done. Trust me. That's why they're working with me. They want to spread the word to the United States more that you can order from them. It is economical and it gets to you fast. So evilgreed.net, 100 words is the promo code. Thank you, guys. Thank you. This is crazy. I was expecting no one to be here. I, like, not one person. I, I was just talking to you. So this is really cool. No, honestly, I, and, and I'm, I would be fine if it was just you and yeah, I staring yeah. at each other the whole time. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's been very interesting for me because I had never personally done a live podcast before. Yeah. And the first one I did was yesterday with Nate from Zabalba. And I told him before, I was like, dude, if there's no one here, don't blame me. <laughs> and, but there was people here. So, anyways. But, Will... You're great for doing this. I know you came over specifically for this. Yeah, yeah, it's an honor to be here. Honor. Thank you guys. Thank you guys. Yeah. Exactly. 
And you get a nice, nice trip to see beautiful Manchester and all of that. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, uh, my wife and I, sitting right there. It's Christina. Shout out, to, shout out to wife. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I oh, the whole scene owns a lot to Christina. You know, <laughs> of course. But um, yeah, we we stopped by London, had a nice couple days in Paris. So it's been awesome. Now we get to wrap it up, headline in Manchester. This is yeah, awesome. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I have not had. I mean, we've met before. I have not had the pleasure of having you on the podcast from a full episode perspective, whereas other people I've had. So I'm going to do a little biographical information. Sounds great. But before that, I am going to hit you with probably a hard question. But I Right think now. Right now. Okay, let's go. Yes, we're peeling off the Band-Aid. So, I mean, you, I presume you don't even have any idea how many records you've done. I have no idea. Right. No like idea. 200 plus. I think more than 200 because when we work on our website... It was over 200 of, like, things. The Past 200, I don't know. Right. So we'll say, you've worked on a lot of records. And when you've worked on that many records, I'm sure there's a a voice in your head of, I don't want to repeat myself. I don't want to just, oh, here's the will yip button that I press in my studio, and then all the bands will sound alike. How do you not recycle yourself? No, absolutely, absolutely not. I think... I don't, I don't have many rules in the studio, but, but my biggest rule is, you know, we're going to never make the same record twice. Even if it's the same band, we approach it all differently. You know, um, when we work on a record, I know there's a lot of producers that have their thing, have their great signature sound, their signature record, how they go through things. I don't have that. My thing is, when you come to me, is that you're not coming to Will, you're not coming to Studio 4 for a Studio 4 record. You're coming to me so that I join your band. I join your process. I want to make the best record that you guys can make at that time, at that point in your life. So even with a band like Turnover or, or Title Fight, we went into every single record... <laughs> It's, we, I, I know, like, the entire time I knew that was going to happen, where it's like every band you say, you're, people are like, woo, woo! You know, but like, anyways, yeah. Every title for a record, the first one, we went about it live. We're going to track it live. The second one, we're like, yo, let's pre-pro every song. Let's grit out every single song, folks, and song by song. The third record, we went all straight to analog. We're like, all right, yeah, yeah, fuck that thing. Let's, we already did that. Let's do it straight to analog. The next record, we just kind of built in the studio from the ground up. So it was how do we add new energy to everything we do? That's my big goal of every record. I never want to, say, I never want to make the same thing twice. You know, that's not why I do this. I do this because I want to create something special. I do this because I want to collaborate with great artists, and great artists are not the same. Turnstile is not the same as Code Orange. Code Orange is not the same as Title Fight. They're, they're not the same people. They're all so unique and different. So it's my job as a producer, as a collaborator, to get in their heads, understand their vision, and chase that with them. So, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm not proud of too many things, but I am very proud that you know, we, have, we have very uh, different records under our belt, and, and, and that's really cool. Yeah, and I, I think that's really... I appreciate that articulation, because I think it is... I mean, I think every producer attempts to do what you're talking about. Like, there's, I mean, very few people would be like, you know what? I want to make the same record 100 times in a row. Yeah. But, I mean, maybe there is. Yeah, you know, and, and there's producers that feel very comfortable, and I feel comfortable. If, like, a band, you know, maybe they say something, I'm like, oh, that would be easy. But you know what? I've learned that easy isn't the best, usually. It's digging in. I've learned that from working with Jamie Morgan from Code Orange or Brendan from Turnstile, is that those guys dig in. They never want to do the same thing twice. And I love that. That's what keeps me going. If I did the same record 
every time, if I did the same song every time, if I did the same genre every time, I'll be bored. I'll probably be selling t-shirts somewhere. I don't know. You know what I mean? I'll be bored of it. You know, but being able to do such unique things every day, that's why I do what I do. You know, so like even, you know, we just wrapped up New Turnover and I had the honor of doing literally every single record they've ever done. But we had a real conversation going in. They were like, Will, we want to work with you again, obviously, but because you know, you're, you've been such an important collaborator with us, but how are we going to make things different? You know, and I love that challenge. How are we going to make this different? How are we going to make it not like the last record or another Studio 4 record? We literally, you know, uh, we, we tried tracking drums and they were sounding a little big in the big room. And they're like, yo, it's too big. It sounds like the other shit. We're like, all right. Let's do it small. How do we, how do we do it small? It's like, I don't have really a small room. <laughs> Our control room is about a little smaller than the stage. It's a pretty small control room. We're like, yo, let's do the drums right here, like next to me. Right. Like sitting there. It was very uncomfortable for four weeks, but we did it. But like that's, that's the thing. Never worry about being comfortable more, more so than just like chasing every idea and making sure things are special. Just chase the special. And that's I'm lucky I get to work with artists that focus on special you know you know when, you, when all those bands that i named they're just special unique one-of-a-kind bands and i'm grateful i do what i get to do yeah yeah, yeah. and i i think it's it is interesting to hear you say it like that because when you do look at your discography where it's like i'm sure when people look at that list and are like yo you did blacklisted you did dead end path and then you did like just watching the type of like yes you've done a lot of hardcore records but then also you've done things that have nothing to do with punk or hardcore, or are completely sonically different. Yeah. And I, I think that's where people get attracted to wanting to work with you because they understand that you are, you're literally, like you mentioned, you're going to join their band, whether they like it or not. I'm not, I will tell everyone, I live by this, I'm not a sound guy, you know, and I, I, I respect engineers, I love engineers, I am an engineer, but my focus isn't the sound, like I care about that, obviously. We're going to get a great sounding thing that you want, how you want it to sound or how we want it to sound. But I'm a song guy. Song, the song is paramount. That's why I get to work with artists from different genres because they know I'm just focused on the song. Rather it's a pop song, rather it's an indie rock song, rather it's a hardcore song. You know, I'm, lucky, I'm working with a really cool artist right now that I uh, really can't say. Yeah, no. but, um, but they're so unique from what I usually do. When they hit me up, I'm like, why do you guys want to work with me? <laughs> and, and they're like, dude, we know you, you, your mind goes to the hooks. You, we're going to make this music hook a little more and bring out the special dynamics and special movements. You know, I'm like, all right, let's go. You know, so I'm very song-driven. That's the motto in the studio is that we're song, the song is paramount. So I think that's why I get to work with artists from different genres. And you know, I'm very, very fortunate for that because that's all I care about. All I care about is the song. Right, yeah, regardless of the genre. Makes yeah. sense. Um, I know that you started off like you are a drummer. That's kind of your, I mean, yeah. you would say that's your background as far as like yeah, your first sure. instrument. Yeah. Why drums? Um, not too many people know this. My, my immediate friends or immediate circle know this, but you know, my background was a lot in hip hop. You know, I grew up in hip hop. You know, some of the first records I own were all hip hop records. Why I work at Studio 4 is because that was such a legendary breeding ground for hip hop in the early 90s. Um, and when I found punk music, when I found rock music, um, I, I found things that correlated with hip hop, you know, and the drums that spoke to me, the music that spoke to me were the records, the, the songs that the drums slapped 
like the way hip hop records slapped. You know, sure. like every hip hop record, th- that snare, those kicks, those are already processed samples. So they're as hard as they can possibly be. Rock's not really like that. Rock's, you know, there's, there's a lot more dynamics, you know, and the processing is a lot, it's a lot different. But um, so I was really attracted to drummers that hit really hard or drummers that had a really unique drum sound, you know. So I just love rhythm and um, I love dynamics. And so, yeah, drums were just like what attracted me to music. You know, I played other instruments growing up. But once I found drums, I knew that changed my life. I thought I was going to be a professional drummer for my, for, you know, for my entire teenage years, you know. But, um, yeah, drums kind of led me to the start of my production career was it was because I would go to studios and record at studios and I hated all the drum sounds, you know. Right. I was like, yo, that, this sounds so small. It sounds so weak. They sound so soft compared to hip-hop records or, you know, Dave Grohl records, you know. I want this to slap. Let me try recording myself. That's how it kind of all started. So that's how drums and producing kind of became a parallel for me. I, I love that idea of just being like, I don't like what this sounds like. I'll just go ahead and do it. That's like total kid confidence. <laughs> just be like, guys, guys, come on. Let me l- let me go ahead and take care of that. You know, I wasn't overly confident. I just wanted to try. I just wanted to try. But sure. yeah, again, you know, uh, recording and producing was just a means to like a vision. I just had a vision to how I wanted drums to sound, you know. And yeah, for so for like the first five years of producing and recording, you know, it was just a means to get my songs recorded and my drums recorded, you know, sure. so it's been a kind of fun ride. You know? Yeah. And so, I mean, I think it's, in, I, I did know your hip hop background from that perspective. And I mean, clearly there is so many similarities between punk and hardcore and hip hop. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you don't pay attention to it, like you wouldn't know that, but just like even looking at it for a moment. Yeah. So it's pretty cool that you were tracing those two lines from a musical perspective and then yep. understood how they connected from a cultural perspective. Yeah, for sure. You know, like, you know, growing up in a, you know, lower middle class, you know, uh, family and, in, uh, you know, hip hop always spoke to me, just the messages spoke to me. And then when I found punk music, it was like the same thing, just coming from a different group of people. You know what I mean? So it all just spoke to me. Um, and I just agreed with everything that I was consuming, you know? So yeah, yeah. And to me at that point, even at a very young age, I knew genres didn't really mean anything to me. You know what I mean? I was like, yeah, punk speaks to me. Hip-hop speaks to me. It all speaks to me. I just want to speak to people, so I'm just going to make music, whatever it is. You know, sure. so, yeah, yeah. The, and so how was hip-hop and or punk introduced to you? Like, did you come from a musical household? Like, your parents were listening to stuff? No, my... the. Music. When I when I told my parents I was getting into music, it was a fucking nightmare to them. You know, it was a nightmare. You know, they're you know um, they were immigrants, Chinese immigrants that literally had to flee mainland China to get to Hong Kong for refuge, and they came over to the states to to give their kids a better life. You know what I mean? So they settled in New York, and you know they wanted their kids. All all my aunts, all my uncles, they wanted their kids to be doctors. They wanted their kids, you know, it. you know, they gave up such a comfortable life back in China so that their kids can excel. And then when I came home one day, I'm like, I think I'll be a drummer. They're like, oh, no, you're not going to be a drummer. Yeah. And I was, But they were so supportive. You know, even though they didn't want it, they just always backed what I wanted to do and um, and my happiness with it. You know what I mean? I know I'm not answering your question no, uh, no, no, directly no, right now. But, but, it's, um, but it went down this, uh, uh, this route of just digging in and they always supported it. And I never had a musical... I never had a really musical household other than my brother, who's, you know, everyone's older brother is their biggest influence. 
Um, so when he brought home the Chronic, the first uh, you know, first Chronic, I kind of fell in love with it. And then when he brought home In Utero, that was the one that changed my life. That was when I was like, yo, music sounds like this. You know, before I found hardcore, before I found punk, you know, when I was like 10 years old, you know. So it, um, yeah, those, you know, my brother changed my life. He introduced me to really, really cool stuff. And I think he kind of paved the way. He ate a lot of shit. Being an older brother in, or being the old, eldest in a you know, first-generation American family, you're, you're taking, on, you're taking on, uh, a lot of the heat. You know, he was writing the, the family's checks at five years old because he was the only one that knew how to write in English. You know, it, uh, you know, um, so it was crazy. So I owe him so much that without him, I don't think I would have the opportunities to do what I do because, you know, my parents are a little more comfortable with me doing it. You know, a funny story. I was on tour of Lauryn Hill for, for, for five years, you know, who's my favorite artist of all time, probably. And my parents didn't know who, who the hell they were, you know, and uh, they still didn't want me to do the music thing by then. I was like 21 when I was touring. Um, and my dad was uh, bartending at a restaurant, at a Chinese restaurant. And, you know, one of his clients was like, yo, where, um, you know, what does your kid do? He's like, oh, he just messes around music. He'll figure it out. He'll just get into some, some other shit later, you know. And it's like, oh, does he work with any artists? I know. He's like, I don't know. And it's like, here's a picture of him with this artist. And it was me and Lauren Hill. And it, the guy was like, that's fucking Lauren Hill. It's like, yeah, he's like traveling. He's like around the world producing and doing stuff with Lauren Hill. And it was like, that's fucking Lauren Hill. Yeah. And it, it took that for him to like get it and to finally kind of see it that, oh, maybe there's a path here. So, yeah, I owe hip hop a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the fact that you were able, I mean, the smallest of things. I mean, I know touring with Lauren Hill and do, like that's not a small thing, but it's like it can literally be you getting a mention in your local newspaper. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like, oh, Will's made it. He's in the newspaper. <laughs> and then your parents are like, all right, now. And you're like, that is not like yeah. I've done other things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so with the, you know, once you started to really throw yourself into production and you obviously started to develop these, like you mentioned, really long-term relationships with bands, like – you con- you know you've done records for bands for many many years. Do you have to have those conversations where it's like like you're talking about where okay we're gonna do a new record we need to figure out a different way around it. How do you handle the conversation when a band is like, hey, will we love you, but we need to work with somebody else? I I know a lot of producers, engineers, um, and it's not directed towards anyone, but you know they feel it, as they should. You know anyone that works on a record, that's that's your record too. You know I you know producers are so important, engineers are so important, but at the end of the day, it's the artist's record. It's their record. You know, whatever they want to do, I back. You know, there's so many bands. You know, a few bands will hit me up and say, dude, yeah, uh, we decide after talking to the team, we're just going to do something different. I'm like, fuck yeah, man. Go, go, go kill it. You know, I think engineers and producers, you have to have a larger vision with it. And you have to know that a band, if they do great, the back catalogs that does great. You know what I mean? And, you know, who, that because you don't do their next record, that doesn't mean that you're not going to do their next record after that, you know? So I try to maintain a very positive attitude, you know, even with uh, records that, yeah, or, or fans that I 
don't do the third record with or don't do the fourth record with. We stay in touch because I tell them, like, however I can help, I'm there for you. You know, like, it's not about this record. It's about our relationship. It's about our collaborative relationship. Um, I just want to support you guys, you know, and, you know, just like Turnstile, you know, the last record I did the pre-production on and, and they decided to do, them and their label decided to do the record with uh, Mike Gonzato, who's a actually, you know, a recording you know influence of mine, you know, and you know Brendan would text me every day about about mixes and, and and things. So it was really cool to experience that to still be a part of that. But that's my goal is to still be a part of it. But at the end of the day, it's the art. It's the artist. It's the artist's record. It's their record. You don't have ownership to that, especially before the record's being made. You know what I mean? I just want them to be happy and do the best that they can. And it's all gonna work out in the long run. You know, if if they become the biggest band, look, Turnstile became the biggest fucking band in the world, and it's great for everything. It's great. You know, we get calls all the time, and we're like, oh shit, you know, this is crazy. Hardcore's. I don't remember a time Hardcore's been bigger right now, and that's because they just made this fucking record you know and i couldn't be more proud of them and more proud of the decisions they made for that yeah yeah and that i mean i think you hit it you can't take business decisions personal no absolutely not it's not it's not that's and that's very small-minded you know i think you just have to just invest in artists invest in great artists and just let great music be out there i had I learned a really, really great lesson working on a, a record label um, with my mentor, Dave Rath, and we didn't sign someone. We lost, we, we couldn't sign this one band, and I was bummed, you know, because I thought we were going to get it, and he was like, dude, Will, root for them. No, no matter what, root for them. Hope that they're become, they become the biggest fucking band in the world, because when they do, you're going to have the next... 30 versions of them hitting you up and wanting to sign here. And I was like, damn, that's so smart. That's such a positive way and and an accurate way of looking at it is that as long as great music is getting put out there and great music is getting made, whether I'm involved or not, that's just good for me. That means business is good. That means there's going to be a want to make music, you know, so... Yeah, you can't take it personal because it's not a, it's not about me. It's not about the producer. It's about the art. Right. It's not yeah. like they're like, you know what? Will sucks. <laughs> I mean, you can take it personally if they say that. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll be pretty bummed. Right. I'll, right. I'll, I'll be pretty bummed to say that. Yeah. So when your name was rising to prominence, you know, in the whatever late, late O's, early tens, yeah. <laughs> so you, you know, I mean, when like law disputes and you know balance. And you, at least from the outside, and I know from working on a few projects with you, you worked during, and you still do work incredibly hard, but I imagine there was a time where you were biting off way more than you could chew, where it's like, oh, I'm going to track for 12 hours and then mix for eight and sleep for three, and then, I mean, maybe that's still you, but... I'm still pretty close. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you, I guess, find somewhat of a balance as you were like... I can't say no to doing another Law Dispute record, yeah. but I have to mix the balance. Like, how are you navigating that? Um, I just, yeah, it, it, uh, it's it's kind of crazy. It's kind of baked into my my blood. You know, my parents are very hardworking people, and they kind of instilled that on me. But yeah, my schedule is crazy. You know, um, my schedule right now isn't too far than my schedule ten years ago, where I wake up at eight o'clock, we get into the studio by ten thirty, we produce, we work for ten hours. Go home, have a dinner, you know, have dinner with my wife, and kick it for a little bit, and then I mix until about three o'clock in the morning. 
I know that's not sustainable and that's not the healthiest thing, but I can't say no to great records. I just can't. I don't advise everyone to do that because that's because yeah, because it's definitely not the healthiest way to live. But the secret that I found out the secret is to find a consistency. Is that yeah? I'm gonna have my lunch the same time. I have the my, my, uh, walking the dog the same time every day. So I have pillars of like normalcy. Yep. You know, I'm gonna have my dinner the same time every day with with my wife. I'm gonna get. I'm going to do the same thing every day because within those pockets of working, I'm doing the craziest shit every single day. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I think it's just, I don't know. I I can't say no to great records, man. I can't say no. And um, um, hopefully the calls will still keep coming, you know, but um, I'm grateful that they're, they're here. So, yeah, man, it's um, it's an honor, it's a privilege to get to work on music. It's a privilege to get to work on you know the bands that are working here, um, or playing here. So you know why you know life's short. Why not be a part of it and right. make great music with them? Right. Yeah. As long as you have a structure to yeah, work. As long as I, yeah. And I'm sure that there there are times where you feel completely shot and burnt out, where you're like, I cannot listen to music anymore. Yeah, honestly, it was. Um, you know, I've been lucky enough to have other ventures come to my life, whether record label or the drum company and, and other things. Um, those are things that kind of almost overwhelmed it because it kind of those are living and breathing things against the structure. You know, in the middle of drum takes with whoever, I'll get a call from X band on memory. You know, and those are tough. But even with that. Finding a way with the other ventures to let go of some of the work, you know, find a great partner, find great partners to help me, you know, um, is was key. And that's another thing is, is other than structure is trusting great people around you to help you have help. I didn't do this all by myself. You know, I did this with Christina, I did this with my assistants, I did this with my manager, you know, all those guys are just as important as me working all this stuff because without them I'll be I'll probably be a crumbled up mess you know right. at this point yeah. you would fall apart yeah right. yeah it's crazy because my uh, one of my assistants um, would, you know, this was like 10 years ago I think it was during that time of a lot of spew, uh, rooms at a house you know we were working insane hours because I don't like to put I'm re- the one bad thing about me that labels hate about me is I don't really work with deadlines and labels hate that yeah, because weird, weird. <laughs> that's, that's very bizarre i think hey, we gotta put out a record will <laughs> no, no 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 i'm still mixing yeah we shoot we shoot for deadlines obviously but i think every band that works with me would tell you that we're not gonna settle you know i'm never gonna say oh that's it okay yeah what we have is what we have no you're unhappy with mix we're gonna fix it you know with code iron songs we go through like 30 versions of the mix <laughs> you know we always go over time the lot of people records we're always working on vocals months and months and you know a past past due and you know it gets on top of stuff that's already booked and my assistant was like dude you're gonna get burnt out you know the, like all engineers get burnt out producers get burnt out after doing this for 15 years that was 15 years or that was almost 10 yeah it was 10 years ago and i'm still doing it and i'm just grateful because again i think as long as you have a healthy support system, you know, I, you know, and know how to structure it, yeah, you have the best of luck. Right, you it. can push yeah. that forward. Uh, I want to talk specifically about a few records. Uh, or, but before that, like you were talking about with the, you know, the picture of Lauren Hill with your parents, and like, kind of on the flip side of that, when did you feel whether it's a specific record or a specific year where you were like, "Yo, I'm doing this. Like, I'm getting calls. I'm." You know, booked out eight months in advance. Like, when did you feel like you were an adult? Or I mean, maybe you still don't feel like you're an adult, but yeah. <laughs> I, I've never felt that way. Perfect. 
I've never felt that way. I always feel like every record is going to be my last record. I always think every record that I'm doing, I'm doing the worst job. You know what I mean? Um, I think if you lose that edge, you know, of of kind of having that, not anxiety, but that, you know, just like nervous stress. Energy. Yeah, that, that, okay. that, that nervous energy, that stress towards a record, you know. Um, then I think an edge is cut off, you know. Um, I'm always nervous on day one of a record. You know, I think all my friends would tell you that, that to go into a record, like, you can't talk to me a few days before because I'm reviewing all my notes. I'm doing all my homework on it. And every day, I always tell bands, I, I'm going to work. When we're in the studio, I'm going to work as hard, if not harder, than everybody in the room because I owe that to you guys. I owe that to Brendan from I owe that to these guys. I'm, I'm going to have your back. I'm going to work so hard. Um, and I think if you're ever comfortable, I think you're going to lose a little bit, uh, lose a little bit of that edge. And yeah, it's just not, not how I'm wired, man. You know, I, 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 who knows, who knows the music industry can crash in six months and you know, we we're all getting paid half as much or whatever it is, whatever it is. Another, you know, hopefully not another pandemic hits and no one's making music or no one's playing live music for a while you know it's like things can change so you know i'm not focused on like being comfortable i'm not comfortable i think that's that's the thing i think i go into everything trying to make sure that i'm not comfortable so i can work the hardest you know what i mean so i can literally just focus on making awesome music and just yeah just kind of push myself to do the best that i can with every record i do yeah i like that edge philosophy because it does I mean, a lot of times, anybody that's ever recorded, like, there's that level of comfort that you kind of start to get in when you've yeah. worked with the person once or twice, where you're just like, oh, dude, Will's going to do it. He'll fix it. <laughs> and you're just like, no, man. Like- hey, man, I catch myself, too. I am guilty of that. Every second nature, it's just, you know, when easy is good. You know, easy feels good. You know what I mean? But, you know, I'll be the first one, you know, when someone looks over and say, dude, this isn't the best idea, huh? And I'm like, damn, it's not. It's not. You know, let's work on something else. Let's re, let's re, you know, it was a, such a crazy conversation while making Hyperview. We had a whole record done. The whole record was demoed out. We pre-proed everything. All the melodies were there. And then Shane, you know, again, I'm, I'm lucky to work with such inspiring artists. And, se- and he looked over to me. He's like, dude, we did this already. He said, we, we, this sounds like just like another version of Floor Green. I'm like, fuck, you're not wrong. <laughs> He's like, let's just do another, yo, let's, let's scrap it and just do other songs. And I'm like, do another in here? <laughs> like now? He's like, fuck it, let's do it. You know, he just wasn't happy doing the same thing. I'm like, that's so fucking cool. And we did it. You know, we built up another record and I could be more proud of it. But yeah, man, that's just how, how we are. You know, I, I, uh, artists, I, I'm so, I, I keep saying this, but I'm so lucky to work with such influential artists and such creative minds you know they're all like Kanye's to me they're all like you know yeah, La- yeah, Lauren yeah. Hill's to next me that, level, yeah, right. they're all next level so they're gonna push me and my goal is to push back and with that we're gonna produce something really fucking cool so that's cool. and that's a lot of hard work it takes a lot of hard work you're never that comfortable and it's, it's usually never easy yeah, yeah for sure so there's a like I said a few records I wanted to kind of or a few bands I wanted to pick on specifically Maybe a little deeper cuts, but, yeah. um, you know, I mean, Blacklisted was and still is a very influential band to anybody that has interacted with them. And they are such a unique force because that band evolved into just being kind of a... Ahead of their time. Totally. Ahead like of their a time. straightforward hardcore band initially yeah. and then continued along. So when I bring up Blacklisted to you, what sort of uh, sticks out in regards to either the creative process or like how they worked with you? Uh, they changed my life. 
With, without that band, I wouldn't be here. Um, a lot of bands wouldn't be here. Um, it's funny. I was I posted that I was doing this today, and then Bean, the uh, John, the guitar player for Blacklisted, uh, texted me. He's like, "Dude, I'm so proud of you." I was like, "Bro, none of this is happening. Like, I'm not here without you." You know. But um, yeah, they they were they were just such an honest band. You know, it was what feels right to them. But they're also again just like all those other artists. They never want to stay stagnant. John never wants to make the same record twice, you know, um, and they have such great influences, deeper influences, especially as they grew. You know, he was the first one to, to uh, you know, lend me a Nutri Milk Hotel record. You know what I mean? I'm like, yo, you're in Blacklisted, though. What, what, is, what is this? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, this isn't hard, bro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he's like, yo, I want the next record to sound like this, plus like Don- Dinosaur Jr. I'm like, what? You know? And um, so I love that, and I feed off of that energy, you know. But they're they're such an influential band. If no one deserves to be here, it came out today. It will be a huge record, you know. That was it was they were such ahead of their time, and it was uh, really cool to be a part of it at such a young age. When I so how how we started working together was I was doing demos for them in my basement forever ago, and when I started working at Studio Four, we did demos before no one. And they actually had time booked or with another studio with, you know, one of the greatest producers in hardcore. And uh, John called me. He's like, dude, I think, um, I think we're just going to do the record with you. I'm like, what? He was like, dude, the demo sound great. Why change it? I'm like, fuck. And the label wasn't happy. You know, people that were working with them weren't happy. They're like, who the hell is this 20-year-old kid that's doing the hottest hardcore band right now? And... Um, you know, they gave me an opportunity that, you know, um, so it was at that point, it was the biggest opportunity I've ever had. And without that, there was no me in Title Fight. The reason why I started working with Title Fight was because of Blacklisted. Totally. You know, I had no other big credits bef- before that, you know, other than my, the pop credits for Studio 4, right? And so, yeah, without them, none of this w- would be here. That's for incredible. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Blacklisted. Long live Blacklisted. <laughs> uh, selfishly speaking, one of my favorite bands that you have ever worked with is uh, Pianos Become the Teeth and they are I mean they're, they're just they're amazing yeah to talk yeah. about another band that's just been like oh here we're like this screamo band yeah. and then like now we're like the hardcore version of the national and yeah. it's like <laughs> so when I bring up Pianos to you I know that like I mean you've worked with them on Keep You and, and Wait for Love yep. how did that pro- from them being like hey so we're not going to scream anymore like how was that process getting them to that um, point? You know, it's kind of crazy. I feel like I was able to be a part of a lot of Harker bands, the melodic shift, right? Um, I won't get into the two. This is a, a sidebar joke. Was, uh, uh, I did, uh, I won't say which band, but I did a band's, you know, second record. I loved it. And this this young girl, like, this is when, like, commented or Facebook messaged me and the singer at the same time. I was like, Will, Will, you should never be allowed to make a record ever again. You ruin all my favorite pop punk bands and hardcore bands, you know? And I'm like, she's like, I, she said some crazy shit that I'm not going to repeat. It's like some insane shit that I should never be allowed to work on music again. And, um, and it's just funny because three months later, she messaged both of us back and was like, hey, I'm, that, I'm the one that you know, was spewing all that bullshit. And it took a picture of the tattoo of the record that she got a tattoo of. She said, it just took me some time. It changed my life. It's the most important record to me. I'm like, that's crazy. Right. You know, but... Um, Thanks for letting me know. <laughs> but I think, again, is for some reason, I 
and maybe it was just the time. Uh, it's, it's just it's the synchronicity of the band's, you know, headspace and m- my headspace or my availability to them. But I was just lucky to do a lot of bands. I won't call it transitional. It's just they're a melodic shift or whatever, you know. And pianos won those bands. And when Kyle said, you know, when they were like, this is going to be a lot more melodic of a record, you know, we're working on these vocals and they just feel better melodic and singy, you know, in quotes. And, um, and I was like, I'm here for it. You know, my biggest thing for on the production side, I think a lot of people's kind of this comes back to me is drums and vocals. Sure. Two of the most important things, rhythm and melody. Those are the two most important things to me about music. You know, can I sing along and does it feel good? You know, um, can I bow my head to it? And so vocals is such an important thing to me. I knew I was going to be good. I knew when he said that, you know, because I heard glimpses of on the old records. You know, there's there's a lot of moments. I was like, this motherfucker can sing. Yeah. If we dive into it, they can be a, a fucking big band and a very important band. And we can make a very special record that will widen the net that they can that 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 will welcome more ears. Just like what Glow On did for Turnstile. You know what okay. I mean? Um, that it that the net just got wider, wider and wider because the sense of melody just got so much larger. And I was very confident in that uh, going into that record of pianos that I was just ready for it because that's that's just what we do here. It's not about making another hardcore record or another screamo record. Let's just make the next record, whatever it is. There's so many records that we do that we're like, man, if we just named the band something else, we might be like huge. You know what I mean? Because there's no expectations. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't care, man. I just want to grow with the band. I think those are the bands that stay around forever are the ones that evolve and forces the listener to grow with them. If you can have your fan base and your listeners grow with you, you're probably going to be around for a long time because you're going to have a lot of invested, active listeners. Right. Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. Well, the last thing I want to hit on was the idea that, you know, you have done so much with bands and you obviously toured for many years as well when you were touring um did you for one like touring and for two did you do have sort of like tour hacks as it were that made your life a little more comfortable on the road um in order to kind of you know give you those creature comforts that you need when you're on the road um i'm so grateful for my five years or so of touring um but i I personally hate touring. You're not cut out for I, it. I'm not. That's, you know, I, I think I did a great job, um, you know, getting to, you know, I did drums for a little bit, but then I was front of house and ran teleprompter and ran monitors. Um, and, and my main gig was tour managing a 22-person band at one point, you know, for such a long time. I knew from the second that I started making music that my what I want to do and what I think I'm meant to be doing is making new music every day. I love touring. I, I'm, I'm so blessed to be able to see the world. You know, we've been everywhere. But I remember it was, it was like in Portugal or something. I'm like, damn, we're just doing the same 22 songs every day every night you know and that's not why i do music you know what i mean that's not why i love music i love music because i get to build fresh music and fresh new ideas and fresh melodies and fresh songs every single day that's my high you know what i mean like that's you know i I talk about anthony green all the time that we come in we treat it like it's a nine to five job we come in the morning we, we have no ideas, we work on something, and then by the end of the day, we're high-fiving each other. We're like, oh, it's a new song. Let's do the next one. You know, let's work on the next one. That's why 
that's why I work with music. So I love touring in a sense that I got to see the world, you know. Um, but it's not why I love music. I love music because I love songs and I love new songs. So right, yeah. you, you want to create new stuff. Yeah, I want to create stuff every day. That's my goal. I'm itching. You know, I've been away from home for you know ten days or so, and we had a blast. But you know, you know, I'm excited to work on this next record. You know what I mean? Right, and build right, right. and build the next batch of ideas. You know, been humming stuff all trip. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, yeah. I think that's why. Uh, again, I think a lot of artists kind of feel that with me too. They feel that way too. Is, you know, that's why. Artists have studio setups in their buses, you know, because they have to keep creating. The great, the great ones always have ideas brewing, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, got to get the lab going. Yep, yep, absolutely. <laughs> Will, thank you very much for hanging out. Everybody absolutely. give it up for Will. Thank you, guys. Thank you. There you have it. Another great live episode, in my opinion, from Outbreak Fest. Shout out to the whole team involved with that. Shout out to Jordan from Outbreak Fest. And uh, yeah, shout out to everybody who made these uh, these experiences and chats so, so good. And uh, shout out to Simone who recorded all of these and he made it sound very, very good. And it was just such a great experience. And honestly, can't wait to go back next year. That's the plan as of right now. So, But next week, I have another fun discussion with a very old friend of mine. I've known her ever since I was a... Uh, gosh, maybe 16 or 17 years old. And I'm, you know, like in my early forties now, but uh, we have Veek Martin who worked at Revelation Records for many years, runs Simba Records. And then she also currently now works at Pirates Press Records. She also did Simba fanzine back in the day. She's just been a pillar of, uh, I would say an institution (laughs) in regards to independent music. She's been so, so supportive over a lot of bands and just, you know, working behind the scenes in the music industry. And uh, yeah, it was a it was a great discussion. It was a long time coming because she's one of those people where I've been like, oh, yeah, eventually I'll get around to Veek. Eventually I'll do that. But then, yeah, finally we made it happen. So that is what's up next week. And until then, please be safe, everybody. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. 
Exclusions apply.